Are you ready for the word tonight? Proverbs chapter number 7. Proverbs chapter number 7. I don't know why I'm always stuck with the, the Proverbs that deal with uh, sex. Somehow I've got to deal with it again. So. <laughs> so bear with me. Stretch your hands forth right now. Everybody stretch your hands forth. Say, help our pastor. So, uh, but it's in the Bible, so we're going to deal with it, right? So, God deal with it. Proverbs chapter number 7. I will probably read all the verses. If not, I'll get to most of them tonight. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words. Treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call to understanding your nearest kin, that you may keep you, that you may be kept from the immoral woman, that you may be kept from the immoral woman and from the adulteress and the flattery of her words. So I want you to look at verse number one. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Let's look at those few verses uh, first, and then we'll look at the rest. Father, add your blessing to the preaching of the word. Let your word go forth in power. Let your word go forth in boldness. And everything that's said and done would bring you the glory. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Tonight, for a few moments, we're looking at Proverbs 7. And we're dealing with the deadly drama of adultery. The deadly drama of adultery. The deadly drama of adultery. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. The book of wisdom. And these are wise sayings from King Solomon. He is actually writing most of this to his son and telling his son there are certain things that you need to keep and if you want to live a long life, there are certain things that you need to do. And so King Solomon here is writing some wise sayings to his son and this book is filled with wise sayings. Now, one of the things that we get confused with is that we misinterpret Scripture and we read the book of Proverbs and we read it literally. Now, you read the Bible when it's supposed to be literal, but sometimes the Bible is allegory. Just for instance, when the Scripture says, train up your child in the way it should go, and when they are old, they shall not depart from it. It's a wise saying. It is not a command. It's not not a definite answer to the solution of your problem. The the book of Proverbs also says, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, for the most part, it does. But there are some occasions where they will get angry and will not be quiet. So the book of Proverbs are wise sayings that if you do these things, in a general sense, you will receive back what the book says. But not always. All right. So I know lots of Christians who've raised their children in the house of the Lord and they have never come back to the Lord. So, I mean, so obviously if the Scripture is wrong, we we got to interpret the Scripture right. So the, the book of Proverbs are wise sayings from a king to his son. That if you generally accept this, you're going to have a happy outcome for the most part. There are exceptions to it. Because that's why it's called the book of Proverbs, because it is a proverb. It's a wise saying. All right? It's not a command. So, um, so Solomon is writing to his son here, and he's given him some wise counsel of things to behave. Now, if you look at the book of Proverbs, the book is primarily deals with... Um, how you should live your life. 
And one of the dominant things that the book of Proverbs stresses over and over and over and over is sexual purity, sexual purity. Now, it's ironic that Solomon would talk about sexual purity is because if anybody had a problem with sexual purity, it was probably Solomon. Solomon had thousands of concubines, and he had a problem with purity in the sexual realm. And so he has authority to speak about this. And so he is telling his son, listen, I have learned, I have learned that you should stay away from adultery. You should stay away from immoral women. You should walk purely and uprightly before the Lord. So Solomon has some good things to say to his son. And so, uh, and that's why we come to uh, verse, verse number one of chapter two. Solomon starts the book right off. Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 1, he says to his son, Proverbs 2, verse 1, My son, if you receive my words, treasure my commandments within you, and you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search her as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. So Solomon here is right off the bat when he starts to write this discourse to his son. Over and over you will find this phrase, my son, my son. My son, listen to me. My son, give an ear to what I'm saying. My son, please listen to me. Because this is a father's heart. A father's heart, he doesn't want his son to go astray. So you can hear the father's heart in this. My son, listen to me. My son, seek for wisdom. Seek for understanding. Don't go the same way that I went. And how many would agree with Pastor Josh that a true parent don't want them to make the same mistakes that you made. Can I hear an amen? You try to shield them from making the same mistakes. And so he's crying out to his son, don't do this, my son. Don't do this. My son, do not walk in the way of them. The Bible says in Proverbs 1 and verse 15, look at what he says. He, I mean, he's really stressing this at the beginning of the book. I want you to listen to the father's heart. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 15, he says, my son, do not walk in the way of them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run evil. He says, listen to me, don't even hang out with people who, who, who will lead you astray. Make sure that the company of people that you hang out with will lead you to righteousness, will lead you to wisdom, and not lead you to evil. You see, John Maxwell said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Your friends have a whole lot to do with how you live your life. And I hear an amen. Some of you are like, what, well, I don't have no friends. Well, it's, it, you need to have friends. The Bible strongly suggests that you have friends. It's good and healthy to have friends. And so he says, run from them. Don't even make haste with them that shed blood. And you can go, for, go read on with that. Proverbs 1 verse 20. 1 verse 20. Proverbs 1 20 says, wisdom is crying outside. She's raising up her voice. She's crying out. She's crying out in the street corners. She's crying out on the gates. He is saying, listen, son, wisdom is right in front of you. Wisdom is crying out. Discernment is crying out. Knowledge is crying out, and you're missing it. You're missing it. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever time that we need wisdom, 
If there's ever a time that we need discernment and knowledge, it is this generation that we live in. We need wisdom. We need understanding. If there's ever a time that we need to cry out for it, it is today. If you agree with that, say amen. We need wisdom. We need counsel. So Proverbs chapter 7, he starts it again. He says, my son, keep my words. My son, keep my words. Isn't it ironic that he says the same thing in Proverbs 6 verse 1? Proverbs chapter 6 verse 1. Look at the word. He said, my son. He starts out by saying, my son, because he has a father's heart. He really wants his son to get a hold of this. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1, he says it again. He says, my son, my son, pay attention to wisdom. Lean your ear to understanding that you may perceive discernment or discretion. Proverbs 5 verse 1, my son, over and over, he keeps saying it over and over. What is he trying to do? He really is stressing to his son that you need to pay attention. You really need to wake up. Ladies and gentlemen, as the spiritual leader of this church, I'm saying to you, we need to wake up. My, my church, my sons and daughters, wake up. My sons and daughters, wake up to wisdom. My sons and daughters, there is not a problem that you don't have that wisdom can't take care of. You don't have a money problem. You have a wisdom problem. You don't have a marriage problem. You have a wisdom problem. It's all about wisdom. And most of our problems in life is a lack of wisdom. If you use your credit cards all the time, and you rack up $60,000 worth of debt, that is not a demonic force against you. That's a lack of wisdom. If you're always rolling your eyes at somebody, and give them the middle finger, and acting like you're a knucklehead, it is not the devil that's against you why you can't have friends in your life. It's just because you have a bad, stinking attitude, nobody wants to be around you. It's not the devil. It's a wisdom problem. If we learn how to conduct ourselves right, the scripture says friends should show themselves friendly. That's a wisdom issue. And see, what happens in life is we want to make things all about the devil. The devil's after us. The devil's destroying us. When really 80% of our issues is a wisdom problem because the devil is not omnipresent. The devil can't be afflicting you and me at the same time. You're giving too much power to the devil. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. Most of our problems come, 80% of it is a wisdom problem. Now, can we be afflicted by the devil? Yes. Is there demonic forces? Yes. Is the kingdom of darkness real? Yes. But wisdom will help you to discern if it's a wisdom problem or if it's a spiritual problem. And if you don't got wisdom, you're going to look at everything as a spiritual problem and not a practical wisdom problem because wisdom, if you have wisdom, according to Proverbs chapter 3, you grow in discernment and discretion. And a person of wisdom has the ability to discern if it is a spiritual attack or if it's a practical wisdom attack or wisdom problem in my life. And I have seen this all throughout my life in, in pastoral ministry that a lot of people don't have discernment of whether it's a practical wisdom problem or if it's a spiritual attack against me. 
And they go throughout their whole life frustrated in their prayer life, frustrated with the church, frustrated with everything in life because their discernment is off, their discretion is off, they're, they're, they're looking through the wrong lens and they're not correcting the problem. Boy, that was a mouthful right there. You were created to find solutions. You wasn't created to dwell with the problem. If you are dwelling with problems all the time, there's a problem. You were created to find a solution to the problem. And the book of Proverbs is a, is, is a solution to the practical issues of life. And that's why he's crying out, says, my son, please listen to me. My son, my son, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, he says, my son, do not forget my law. Keep my commandments. You see, I think you got the point. Over and over, he keeps saying, my son, my son, do, do, do you hear the heart of this man? Over and over, my son, don't let, don't let your heart, don't forget the law, don't forget the, the heart. He says in verse number two, for the length of your days and long life and peace they will add to you. Do you see what he's saying? The lack of peace in your life is a result of the lack of wisdom in your life. The reason that you're not walking in peace is because you're not walking in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to discern. That's wisdom. You remember Solomon? They brought a baby to him and two mothers were complaining that this baby is my baby and this baby is my baby. What did he do? He had wisdom. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to cut the baby in half. And I'll give you half of the baby and you half of the baby. And instantly the real mother is like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, you know, let's not do that. He had such wisdom to take care of the problem. He had wisdom for a solution. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the ability to understand and have discernment to solve problems. And if there's ever a time in life that we need men and women to solve problems and not talk about problems, it's now. It's, it's, it's the ability to come up with a solution. The wisdom is the ability to discern and understand a solution and how to put practical advice into experience. So you see what he's saying. He comes to chapter 7. He says, son, I've got to tell you something. There are immoral women out there that will seduce you. Now, we do know that in our culture that it is both men and women now. You know, it used to be it, the porn problem was just a man problem. The recent study says women are looking at porn just as much as men. So it's, it's not a male thing any longer. It seems as though men and women are fighting sexual issues just as much. Uh, there was a study done in college campuses that uh, girls were just... Uh, Girls were just as wild as boys are on, on college campuses when it comes to sex. It's, it's an equal thing now. It's, it's not a male thing. We live in a sex-crazed world. There was a study done by Nebraska. Uh, the University of Nebraska did a study of incoming freshmen. And they asked incoming freshmen, how much influence did your church play on the view of sexuality? That was the question that they asked these incoming freshmen. How much influence did your church play on your view of sexuality? And when they got back the reports, 2% of all the freshmen at the university said, only 2% of them said the church had any positive thing to say about sexuality. 
And yet we wonder what's wrong. It's no wonder our children don't know what sexuality and godly biblical sexuality is because we don't talk about it in church. We're afraid to talk about it. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot be afraid to talk about it. We have to talk about it. And Solomon is talking about it to his son. And the very first thing that he talks to his son about, he says, number one, he says, my son, number one, sexual purity begins with being the people of the word. Sexual purity begins by being the people of the word. Number one, verses one through five, he says, my son, if you want to keep pure, my son, if you really want to stay pure from the immoral temptations that's coming against you, you're going to have to indulge in the word of God. Verse number one, he says, keep my commandments, keep my commandments and live, live and let the law be the apple of your eye. He says, keep the word of God as the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them upon the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call to understanding as your next kin. In other words, he says, if you want to stay away, if you want to be pure from sexual temptation, you've got to make sure you bind the word of God upon your heart. Bind the word of God upon your fingers. And bind the word of God upon your eyes. You hear what he's saying? He says, bind it upon your eyes. How do you bind it upon your eyes? Well, because your eyes are very critical part of your body. Your eyes are tender. It's the window to your soul. And he is saying here, you need to protect something that's tender in your life. Your sexuality is something that's precious. Your sexuality is something that's tender before God and you need to protect it like you would protect your eyes. Protect your sexuality. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about not having sex. It's about being pure before God. It's about walking rightly before God. He says, you need to do it like, protect it like your eyes. He said, bind it upon your fingers. Bind it upon your fingers. Now, the analogy is the Orthodox Jews would bind the law of God upon their wrist and wrap it on their fingers and put it up on their forehead. And why did the Orthodox Jews do that? Because it would remind them that they were in covenant with God when they looked at the law of God bind upon their hands and upon their forehead. And so Solomon is saying to his son, in like manner, you need to put the Word of God in front of you. You need to continually have it in front of you. It doesn't need to be a Sunday and Wednesday thing. It needs to be continually up on you. So number one, you need to protect your sexuality like you would protect your eyes. Why do you wear sunglasses? To protect your eyes from the sun sunbeams so your eyes are not damaged. In the same way, protect your sexuality like you protect your eyes. Look at the Word of God like the Jews would bind it up on their fingers. Keep the Word of God in front of you like a post-it note. And he says, and write it up on the tablets of your heart. Just like God wrote the Ten Commandments upon tablets for the people of God to read as a reminder of His law. You too need to write it up on your heart. What does he mean by that? You need to internalize it and meditate upon it. Not only do you need to protect your sexuality, Protect it like you protect your eyes. But he says you need to keep it in front of you. Keep the Word of God in front of you. And then you need to put it in your heart. You need to think about it and meditate upon it and internalize 
the Word of God. So if you're going to stay away from sexual temptation, you've got to protect the gift that God has given you. You've got to keep the Word of God in front of your eyes. And not only do you got to keep it in front of your eyes, you've got to think about it. You've got to meditate upon it. And you've got to internalize the Word of God. Bind it upon your fingers. Write it up on the tablets of your heart. Keep it like the apple of your eye, he says. And he says, verse number, verse number four, he says, say to wisdom, you are my sister. He says, you need to keep the word of God or his command as if it is your sister. What do you do to your little sister? You protect your little sister. I would hope so. He says, you need to keep the word of God as if it is a relative in your household. That is so good. Because some people, the word of God is not a relative in their household. It is a guest. Are you all out there? Did you just hear anything I just said? The word of God is not supposed to be a guest in your house. The Word of God is to be a relative like a sister that lives in your house. And if you treat the Word of God, if you treat the Word of God as if it's a guest, you read it once in a while, that's a guest. You visit it once in a while. But if it's a relative, you're close to it, it abides with you, you have a bond with it, he says that's what you need to do with the Word of God. You need to have a bond with the Word of God. It needs to be a relative. It needs to be close to you. That's why I do not get, honestly, I don't get Christians who just take Bible study like it's, you know. When there are Christians in China who have one page of the Bible and that's all they have and they would love to have a, a Bible like you and yet we have Christians missing church and not reading the Bible, not following spiritual disciplines. You know, what would happen if great persecution break out in America? Could you really survive if the Bible was taken from you? I mean, how much have you studied? How much do you really know about it? This is the analogy he's using. If you want to be protected from immoral women, he says the temptation is great. And you're going to have to protect it like you protect your eyes. You're going to have to put it on your finger, keep it in front of you. You're going to have to put it in your heart. You're going to have to internalize it. And you're going to have to treat the Word of God like you treat a relative. You've got to keep it close to you. He says, he says and call, verse 4, and call to your understanding your nearest kin. He says, it needs to be close to you. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect in keeping the Bible. Nobody's perfect in Bible study. But you should make progress in studying the Bible. There should be a hunger to study it. And there should be a desire to pursue after holiness. Amen? He says, go after it. He says, look at it like it's your sister. Review it. Why is this important? Because in our culture, sexuality has been perverted, and you look at it through a historical lens, through a theological lens, and a practical lens. 
Historically, men and women are created to be sexual creatures. They're created to be sexual creatures. Without that component in the humanity, we could not reproduce. There had to be a desire. If you did not have an appetite to eat, you would not eat. And therefore, you would not gain the nutrients that you need to be a healthy person and to live. So you've got to have taste buds because you've got to desire food. If you have no desire for food, you won't eat. So having taste buds is good. And having a sex drive, God created it to give to every man and every woman. You've got to have it. God is not going to take it away. He's not. But you have to control it. And that's what he's saying. You've got to control the taste buds. You've got to control the sex drive. You've got to control your mouth. It's about self-control. It's not about God removing it. And that is what happened in the monastic order in the medieval period and even before that when monks would go out and Kathy, you're aware of that, they'd go out in the desert. And what would they do? they castrate themselves because they were so driven by the sex drive. They would castrate themselves, put black on. They would try to go into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and starve themselves because they tried to get away from the urge. And they never understood that that's not the way God intended it to be. Amen? You have to control it. Historically, theologically. Theologically, Jesus was very clear about sexuality. He says some are created to be eunuchs, some are created to be single, and he put his blessing on that. The Apostle Paul put his blessings on that, but he said if that's the case, God will give you grace for it. If not, then you need to marry unless you burn. That is a theological principle of marriage. And then, this is important because of the accessibility of sexuality. The internet is so prominent that if you lived from 1981 until now, the internet has probably been a part of your life. You see, do you know that almost 8 out of 10 teenagers have a cell phone? Get this. 8 out of teenagers have a cell phone. 8 out of 10 teenagers look at porn. Let me say that again. Eight out, of ten, eight out of ten teenagers have a cell phone. Eight out of ten teenagers look at porn. 99.9% of all teenagers actively look at porn once a week. I'll stop there, and we'll let all the parents let that soak in real good. One study was done recently that the problem with our teenagers' moods, the teenagers' attitudes, the disrespect in the home, one Harvard University professor linked it to porn. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is a subject that we must address. We must talk about. Solomon said, Solomon said, Wake up, my son. Do not follow the immoral woman. Pastor, why did you mention that? Because it is unlikely that your teenager or your husband or your wife will go find an immoral man or immoral woman, but it's accessible right in front of you. There, they didn't have the internet. Now we have the internet. There, 
prostitution was a, it was a business. For the most part, prostitution is illegal. But there in that time, prostitution was legal. They participated in it. So Solomon is saying, please, for God's sake, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. He goes on in verse number 6. He goes on and continues to say, listen, if you're going to stay from sexual immorality, sexual purity begins with being the people of the Word. Number 2, sexual purity entails that you flee from temptations. Verse number 6. He says sexual purity entails that you flee from temptation. In other words, you can flee from temptation. Verse number 6. Solomon gives us drama. In what, what Solomon is trying to do, he's painting this picture. He says, from the window of the house, I looked out through the curtain and saw a simple, I perceived among the youth. He's talking about the youth. A youth, a young man devoid of understanding. Here is a young man who is not really has a lot of understanding. He's simple. And he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and the dark night. Here is a young man, he says, a young man who has gone down the wrong road and in the blackness of night, in the darkness of night. Verse number 10, and there met a, there a woman met him. The Bible says that she had the entire of a harlot with a crafty heart. In other words, a rebellious heart. So here, Solomon saying, here is my son, my son, listen to this. Watch where you go in the blackness of midnight. Because if you go places that you should not be going, you're going to get in trouble. And then he paints this picture of this woman in the back alley somewhere in the darkness of night. What does this woman do? Solomon goes on and says, verse number 11, she is loud and rebellious and her feet will not stay at home. She's loud and rebellious, but she won't stay at home. At times, she's outside, verse 12. She's in the open square, lurking at every corner. You see how sexual temptation is at every corner. Now, you're not going to walk outside and find a prostitute, but you can see it in the 21st century lens. Sexual perversion is lurking at every corner. Do you agree with that? Say amen. At every corner, it's lurking. He says, verse number 13, so she caught him and kissed him. You've got to be careful because it will come upon you. Verse number 14, she says, I have a peace offering with me. Now, isn't it interesting? Let's stop here. She says to the young man, I have a peace offering for you. You know what she's doing? She's talking religiously to the man. She is speaking religious language to the man. So Solomon is saying to his son, listen, just because they have the right talk, just because they're talking God talk, doesn't make it right. They can appear to be religious. They can appear to love God. They can appear to have everything on the outward. They can appear to have religious talk. But they want to seduce you. You see that? She says, oh, I have a peace offering. Today I have paid my vows. So I've come out to meet you. Diligently seek your face. And I have found you. And then the Bible says in verse number 16 that she takes him to the bedroom. She takes him, and you see Solomon is coloring this picture, takes him to the bedroom. She says, I'm going to lay you on my couch or my bed, and it has the Egyptian tapestry all over it. Here is this woman really going out of her way just to seduce this man. 
You've got to look at it at the 21st century term here. What does the enemy do to seduce us? How does the enemy seduce us in the 21st century? You're too smart to go home with somebody like this. But there are avenues that the enemy can tempt us. The Bible says in verse 17 that she even puts perfume all over the bed. I mean, here, this woman is serious about it. Can I hear that? This woman ain't playing no games. I mean, she's going to get this man. I mean, she has got the Egyptian tapestry out. She's got the perfume out. She is ready to seduce him. And then verse 18, she says, Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. She says, let us, and you fill in the blank. You know what she's saying. Let us fornicate till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Verse 19, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. And all the women say, "Uh uh-uh. Long journeys are not good. Long journeys are not good. Why? Because the Apostle Paul says, don't be gone long, for the enemy will put a foothold in your marriage. Is that what the Bible says? For my husband's gone a long time. So he's gone. So here, Solomon's saying, listen, my son, wake up. Wake up. You're going down the wrong path. She was lurking around the corner. She was waiting for you. What is the Lord trying to say to us? You don't got to go looking for sexual immorality. It looks for you. You don't got to go looking for it. It looks for you. This woman was lurking around the corner. It was looking for the man. I promise you, you don't got to go look for it. It looks for you. And here is this woman seducing this man. Makes the bed. She has the perfume. And I know this is a little uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. Believe me. I know it's uncomfortable for you. But folks, part of growing is being uncomfortable. This is exactly what the Bible says. Verse number, you know, you know for years we, we preach the same sermon all the time. Take back what the devil stole. Going to get my breakthrough. Gonna get, you know, let's just get down to the real issues. Can I hear an amen? Let's, let's get down to the real issues of life. And here, Solomon is like, he's gone on a long journey. Verse number 20, he has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. In other words, the woman is saying, I mean, this is hilarious, really. She says, oh, don't worry about him. He's gone a long time. He has plenty of money. He'll come back whenever. Just you and I, let's have fun. She is trying to convince him, don't worry about my husband. He has a lot of money. He'll take care of himself. Don't worry about it. Because you know he's probably like, where's your husband? Is he in the closet? When is he coming home? What time does he get off work? You know, She's like, don't worry about it. He has plenty of money. He'll come home whenever he comes home. Verse 21, you know what she does? And this is like a story. It's interesting. Verse 21, she begins to entice him with her speech. She cost him to yield. She caused him to yield. With her what? Flattering lips, she seduced him. (laughs) 
Verse 22, let's just keep on moving, church. Keep on moving. 22, immediately he went after her as an ox goes after to the, goes to the slaughter. Now you can read into what they're doing here, okay? So verse 23, he jumps right into the temptation. He goes after her like an ox. However an ox goes after, you know, whatever, whatever. He has already went after her. The Bible says, or as a fool to the correction till the arrow struck his liver. Huh, as the bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. You see what happened? He was so quick to jump on it, but afterwards, he didn't realize that it would cost his life. You know what it does? That's what the enemy does. The enemy is after to cost your life. Verse 24, he says, now listen to me. Solomon says, now listen to me, my children. Pay attention. Now isn't it interesting, Solomon painted this whole picture of this woman lurking around the corner to seduce his son. And I mean, he really painted it up. Here she has perfume on the bed. She has an Egyptian tapestry. She's lurking around the corner. She seduces him with her lips. And he just goes after it like an ox. That's what the Bible says. He didn't count the cost. He didn't count the cost. Cost his life. I don't want to laugh so bad. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are y'all okay? Everybody say amen. Amen. I'm not, I don't know why I had to preach this one, but I, I'm just going to preach on. Verse 24, he says, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. You see that? Every person that went down was a strong man. Sexual immorality can bring down the strongest man. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. You see, sexual Sexual purity begins by being a people of the Word. That's why we've got to put the Word of God first and foremost. He starts the chapter by saying, listen son, I'm going to tell you a drama. I'm going to tell you a story about a woman that you need to stay away from. But I'm telling you how to stay away from her. You need to protect your sexuality like you protect your eyes. You need to protect your sexuality, protect what I've given you. You need to keep my commandments, which is the Word of God, in front of you. You need to keep it inside of you. You need to treat the Word of God as if it was your relative and not a guest. If you would keep it inside of you and treat it like a relative, my son, your days will be full of peace and you'll stay away from temptation. 
But he says, but let me just tell you a story about what will happen if you don't keep the Word of God in your heart. He says there's a woman in the blackness in the back street lurking at every corner. And if you don't keep the Word of God in your heart, she's going to seduce you by her words. And yes, son, she's going to look like she's religious. She's going to say the right things. She's going to seduce you. She's going to smell good. She's going to look good. She's going to have the right words to say. But you're not going to be able to control it. She's going to tell you that everything's all right. Her husband's okay. It's all right. And you're going to fall into it. And it's going to cost you your life, my son. My son, even the strongest men fell at the hands of this immoral woman. My son, wake up. My son, wake up. Flee from this temptation. Be a person of the Word of God. Number three, sexual purity is strengthened when you rehearse the consequences. What was the consequences? It would cost his life. He didn't know that in the end, it would cost his life. Lastly, sexual purity con continues or is strengthened as we guard our minds. He says, you know what he says at the end, he says, my son, pay attention. Pay attention to my words and my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to our ways. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. Because he said, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Don't do it, my son. Don't do it, my son. Don't do it, my son. See, Jesus even said in John 3.19 that people love darkness more than they love light. People love darkness more than they love light. In closing, one of the greatest principles that you could ever, ever learn about your Christian life and development is understanding a simple principle. And that principle is this. When you came to Christ, and you confessed your sin, and you repented of your sin, the Holy Spirit came in and He regenerated your spirit. Because in the Garden of Eden, when mankind sinned, God said the day that you eat of the fruit will be the day you surely die. What died in the Garden? Their spirit died in the Garden. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because the moment you accept Jesus and repent of your sin, the dead spirit that's dead because of what Adam did, the moment you accept Christ, that spirit comes alive on the inside of you. Can I hear an amen? I said it comes alive on the inside of you. That is why the Scripture says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, look at it, Ephesians 2, Verse 1, Paul echoed this principle. And you He made alive who were dead. See, before you come to Christ, you were dead. Your spirit was dead. You didn't want to please God. You didn't want to live for God. You didn't want nothing to do with His church. But the moment you put your faith in Christ, your spirit that was dead comes alive. And Paul said, you are made alive now because you were dead. 
Hallelujah. Can somebody say, I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad I'm alive. But listen, listen, listen. That's not what we're struggling with. Even though the Spirit is converted, the Spirit is alive, you have what we call the mind. And the mind is not saved. Your thinking is not saved. You don't think right thoughts. That's why Philippians 4 says, think on these things. He's talking to Christians. Because your mind is an enemy of God. Your spirit is saved, but your mind is not saved. That is why we go to church to help the sanctification process of living and bearing fruit. Because you will not bear fruit unless the mind is changed. That's why there's carnal Christians. They live all their life looking like the world, acting like the world, acting like the devil. They love Jesus and they'll probably go to heaven, but they're not bearing no fruit because their mind is not changed. They don't go to church. They're not in a Bible study. They're not changing the way they think. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why we go to church. We go to church to worship God. We go to church to know God and to feel God. But that's why we study the Word. That's why the pulpit's in the middle of the church. Because our mind is not saved. That's why we've got to hear the Word of God and rethink the way we think. So 90% of the stuff you think about is not from God. That is why it is imperative we attend church. Because you've got six days a week that you're watching the news... You're listening to people. You're in the school system. You're in the government system. You're in the world. And you hear the world talk. You hear the world do the business. You hear the world's way of doing things. And your mind is constantly filtering what the world is doing. And that's why when we come to church, we want to think like the world and act like the world because we've got to sit down and say, no, 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 no. I'm a new creature. I've got to think differently. My mind's got to think what my spirit needs to think. Can I hear an amen? That's why you've got to take your children to church because their mind is already against God. They've got to be programmed. That's why, thank God for Catholics. They, they take their children to catechism and brainwash them. And once you're brainwashed, you won't leave the church because they've understood the principle that if you get them young and brainwash them, we're going to keep them for the rest of their life. We need a brainwashing of the Word. You've you got to think right. How, 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 how we process our money, how we process decisions, how we treat each other, sometimes it ain't right. Because you've got to retrain the way you think. You've got to retrain the way you think. The problem is between your years. Now, why did I say that? Because if we live in a sex-crazed world already, with temptation on every side, as if it's lurking in every corner, if that is true, and there are sexual, you know, messages all around us, you can't even watch a Burger King commercial with it being sexual. It's all around us. Come on, somebody. I mean, the modern day church, we have people going to church and things are just flipping out and flopping out here and there. We don't know what modesty is any. Thank you, Pastor Phil. 
But you know what? It's time we get back to modesty and holiness. Come on, somebody. And your, 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 I, I don't want to look at no breast and thighs. If I want breast and thighs, I'll go to KFC. Cover it up. And your breast and your thighs is for your spouse and them only. So cover it up. And we want to come to church and things are just flipping out, flopping out. And I'm saying, oh, God, help me. Got pastors wearing skinny jeans, and my God help us, Lord. What a, this ain't a fashion show. This is a sanctuary. This is a holy place. Now I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching clothesline because I grew up in it. I'm preaching modesty. You just preach the same Holy Ghost that's inside of you will tell you. Pull it down a little bit. Pull it up a little bit. And so if that's true, now listen, if that's true, if that's true, if sexual immorality is everywhere and it's lurking everywhere, then let's suppose you attend church once a week. So that tells me, now get this, that tells me, and according to George Barna, 2% of people tithe. 2% of 2.2 billion people in the world tithe. So people don't even honor God with their money. 1% of people have a daily prayer life. Like actually praying every day. Reading the Bible every day. So it's very, very slim that average Christians really pray every day and read. I'm talking about not saying a Mickey Mouse. I'm talking really st opening the Bible, praying, having a devotional time. That's, a, that's different than just saying a few words. I'm talking about a devotional time. That is very slim in Christianity, in America, in America. Now, if that's true, if it is true that the devotional life of Christians are very low, and if it's true that people don't honor God even with their finances, and they don't honor God with their time, and according to George Barna, 45% of Americans attend church, but they only attend church twice a month. So if that's true, now I'm just going by statistics, if all of that is true, and then the world is sex crazed, and you got a, a, a cell phone and access to anything you want to look at, then please tell this preacher up here why you don't need to go to church every time the doors are open, and why you don't need to study the Bible, and why you don't need to... Come on, somebody. What makes you think that you can just sit at home and fight against the snares of the devil? Please tell me how you can just sit at home and think you can fight against the snares of the devil. You can't. You can't. You can't. You've got to be engaged in the process of sanctification. You've got to control the mind. I'm a single person, and I've got to stay in the Bible, folks. I've, I've got to stay in the Word. Every single person got to stay in the Word. I can't go and watch things and go do things as you think I should. No, I can't. Because I've got to keep myself holy and pure and righteous before God. You just you can't, can't do it. And it's hard enough, it's hard enough for married people to stay married. We've got to be praying for our brothers and sisters. 
Now, what about it, folks, if we've messed up? Because I never want to end a sermon unless we give grace. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you. There, therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's always hope beyond the scope of human limitation. If you confess your sin and you're genuine about it and you weep before God and give it to God, I promise you, you can receive reconciliation and forgiveness. Number two, after it's repented of, then you need to put some things in place to help you keep accountable. You need to view your life as a boat. And you need to make sure that every hole in the boat is plugged so the boat won't sink. And my question to you is, what do you have in place in your life to plug the holes of the boat? Put systems in your life to keep you pure before God. If you struggle with it, confess it to a friend. Confess it to a spiritual leader. Struggle doesn't discount you from the blessing of God. Struggle doesn't discount you from the favor of God. If you are struggling and you need help, confess it. Let somebody help you and walk you through with it. Amen? But never, ever, ever think that you're disqualified because maybe you have messed up and you've done things you shouldn't do. That is the whole gospel is grace and forgiveness and love, but you've got to do the part. You've got to come forward, plug the holes of the boat, seek help, let somebody walk with you, be accountable to someone. Listen, don't confess it to everyone because people get on Facebook and they confess everything. For the love of God, throw your trash in the trash can and not the Facebook. Listen, this is the principle I've learned. Your circle of confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. Did you say that? Let me say it again. The circle of confession should not go outside the circle of offense. If I offended you, or if I'm if it involves you and you and me, then my confession is between the three of us. Not me going to confess it over here to somebody else. So you keep the confession at a limited circle. Because wisdom states that it's found in a council, not a multitude. You don't go blab it to everyone. Because people don't know how to process information and they will go blab it, and it comes back to bite you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Give mercy to people. Give grace to people. Can I hear an amen? I said give grace to people. Give mercy to people. Love people through it. Love them through the hurt. Love them through the struggle. Walk with them. Guide them. Don't condemn them and put them down, but walk with them and guide them and direct them through it. Amen? Because through that process of sanctification, God will bring healing and strength to that person. Amen. Amen. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord tonight?